0: I'm excited for uh, the kids this morning and for the investment that our volunteers uh, make each and every Sunday in their hearts and in their lives. Uh, My life was changed by God in part through the faithfulness of Sunday school teachers who over the years poured into me. And so whenever I I see the kids uh, walk to the back, I think to myself, boy, God's going to do a good work in them. And so I'm I'm excited to see what God does this morning. Uh, Well, you have likely heard uh, some variation of the saying, if it looks like a duck and swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, only uh, when it's not. Uh, You see, apparently there are times in life when uh, something or someone may pretend to be something that they are not. Uh, when this happens, it throws us for a loop and it catches us off guard. Uh, last week, uh, we finished our passage in John chapter 8, verse 30, that reads, And as he, Jesus, was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, I don't know if you remember the passage from last week, but it was one of those passages that was difficult uh, to hear. Uh, Jesus said what may have been perceived as harsh words to the audience. He said to them in John chapter 8, verse 23, "'You are from below, I am from above. "'You are of this world, I am not of this world. "'I told you that you would die in your sins.'" For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So there's a group of people who clearly rejected Jesus, and Jesus is telling them, you don't know me, and you do not know God. You're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I am not. I am going to be with the Father, and you will not. Now clearly, uh, if you're hearing those words, uh, I think it's safe to say, not good news. Right? You can imagine that is not going to be received well. But then as you're reading the passage, it, it ends this little section in John eight thirty. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And you're thinking, I'm thinking, come on. Like, that is good news. Like, there's this group of knuckleheads. They don't believe Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They're from below. He's from above. He's going to the Father. They are not. That's unfortunate, but, but these folks in John chapter 8, verse 30, you read about them, and you're like, many believed in him. I think last week I even asked you, do you? Many did. Do you believe in him? So you're reading this, and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is cool. I mean, there's a group of people that see the beauty of Jesus. They're committed to know him and to follow him and to love him. And then I don't know if you caught it when Russ was reading the passage this morning, but Jesus is speaking to the crowd, to these people, the many who believed in him, and said to them, you, believe, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Uh, uh-oh. I mean, <laughs> these folks in verse 30 that I was thoroughly convinced were in, apparently are not. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we divide people into two categories. Uh, we, we say that there are, are those who don't know God. Uh, they claim they don't want to know God. They're not interested in the things of God. Maybe they would say, I'm an agnostic or I'm an atheist or... Uh, any number of things, but they're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. They're open and honest about it. They're clear where they stand. And then sometimes we think, well, there's, a, there's another category of folks, and they're, they're in. Like they, they've bought into the claims of Christ. They've devoted their lives to trusting in Jesus and following Jesus and loving Jesus. And we just sort of assume that people are in one of two categories. But what Jesus does here is points out uh, another category. And the other category that Jesus points out is those who claim to know Jesus or love Jesus and follow Jesus, but not truly uh, be disciples of Jesus. They claim to know God and they do not uh, know God. And he was saying these things and many believed him. Followed quickly by, "'You belong to your father, the devil.'" And you want to carry out your Father's desires. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read a passage of Scripture, I, I come across a verse, and I think to myself, that's a coffee cup verse. Do have, I don't know if anyone has a coffee cup with a, with a Bible verse on it. Likely Jeremiah 29, 11, You know, for, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You, you put your, your cup of regular coffee in that cup. Man, that, that gets you excited in the morning. You know, th- those are coffee cup verses. And then there are other verses that you, you don't read on the side of a coffee cup. Like if you have one of those cute little flip calendars on your desk with like verse for the day, this verse isn't, isn't in that calendar. If you wake up in the morning and kind of close your eyes and you're like, I don't, I don't know where to go in the Bible, and you just kind of open it up and you point to something, if you point to this verse, you're thinking to yourself, best two out of three. Like, we're, I need something more than that. I, I'm cautious in saying this because I mentioned this when we were walking through uh, James a number of months ago. It might even been a couple of years ago. And I, and I mentioned that there's a verse in the book of James that is not a coffee cup verse. And, and, a, and a dear friend of mine um, said, I beg to differ. And we were, we were in James chapter 4, verse 8. The beginning of the verse says, come near to God. And he will come near to you. And you read that and you go, Yes and Amen. And then the verse continues Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. I mentioned, hey, that's not a coffee cup verse. It is now. Right there on the coffee cup. So listen, this is not a coffee cup verse. It's it's not. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Do not. Buy me a coffee cup with that verse on it. But listen, it's in the book. It's in the book. And so we have to do something with it. Like when, when we come to passages like this that feel weighty to us, listen, everything within me goes, man, I want, like, I want something that is like, fun and safe for the whole family. Like I'm just assuming that life is difficult. And you're coming looking for a little encouragement, right? Who among us isn't? But then we, we, we come to this. We come to passages like this. And, th- and these words can be difficult to hear. But we need to wrestle with them. We cannot gloss over them. We have to do something with them if we're going to be faithful to the text. And we want to be faithful to the text, We want to love the Word, Jesus, uh, who has given us His Word, Scripture. Right? And so, this morning, I want us to wrestle through this passage. I don't want us to wrestle through it in, in hopes that we will leave this place with our head down if God wants to lift our head up. It's not my aim, that's not my goal. But my goal also is not to to give hope and encouragement if we stand at a point in life in our relationship with the Lord where we do not know Him. I want us to know Him. John wrote at the end of this book that he wrote these words, these words. Um, to you and to me, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you and I may have life in His name. It's not written primarily to frighten us or confuse us or fill us uh, with fear. Uh, but we should be sober uh, when we come to the text. And so I, I hear a verse like we did in John chapter uh, 20, verse Uh, 31, and I think to myself, well, what does it look like to have life in his name? If it is true that there are some people that Scripture describes as those who believed in him, but then Jesus quickly goes, you don't know me, then what does it look like to know him? When I say know him, I don't mean know about him. I mean, what does it look like to be rightly related to God? What does it look like to have a relationship with God? Like, how can we be the kind of people who hear the words of Jesus and go, yes, I believe, and we believe? And so I want us to think together just about four marks of what does it look like to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus? There likely are more, but I think there are at least four in this text. And so I want us, again, to think together, what are the marks of a true disciple? Number one, a true disciples hold to the teaching of Jesus. This is verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really, uh, you are really my disciple. So what does it mean? I mean, I read that and I go, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to hold to the teachings of Jesus? This is what I do when I study the Bible. I read stuff and I go, I, what does that mean? If that's a mark of a true disciple, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And what does it mean to hold to the teachings of Jesus? I think the New American Standard Version, how it translates this verse, gives a little bit of clarity. It says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And so Jesus is saying, if you continue to to follow in my teaching. If you continue to trust or have faith uh, in my words, uh, then you are really my disciples. Holding on uh, to the word of Jesus isn't primarily about doing your devotions. Doing your devotions is good and helpful. We should discipline ourselves as the people of God and as followers of God to open his word and go, God, what are you saying to me? What have you spoken to us? I want to follow you. That's a a good discipline. If you don't spend time in the word, you will be a malnourished Christian. Not saying that's not important, but Jesus is not teaching if you do your devotions 75% of the time, then you will become a Christian. That's not what he is saying. There are people in the Bible who studied the Bible and knew the Bible, but did not know the God of the Bible. It says of the Jewish leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Those are words spoken by Jesus to the spiritual leaders in the day, right? The people that we would look at and go like, they got their stuff together. Jesus said to them, you study the scriptures, you know the scriptures, but the scriptures are about me and you will not come to me. What does it mean to hold on to the teachings of Jesus? It doesn't only mean to study His word or to know His word. That's important. It, it doesn't mean that we have spot-on theology, although that's important. We want to believe rightly about God. But there are people who believed right things about God who didn't know God. James chapter two verse nineteen: You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I mean, like, think about that. A group of people that are like, we are, we are monotheist. We, we believe in one God. We're not polytheist. It's not biblical. We're monotheist. And James is like, like bravo. Like, even the demons believe that. Right? So holding on to the teachings of Jesus isn't like, about getting a particular percentage and doing your devotions. It's not even about, about having spot-on theology um, As as we think about Jesus, although that is important, those who hold on to the teachings of Jesus are those who continue in the faith. The people who continue in the faith. We've already seen in the Gospel of John examples of people who are following Jesus, right? They hear his teachings. They even may acknowledge that they're interested in his teachings or love his teachings. And then they tap out when he teaches something they don't like. Like there, are, there are people who by all appearances are going, hey, we're, we're in, we're in, we, we like this guy, we like what he has to say until he says something they don't like and they go, we are out. We are not following him anymore. What he is saying is weird. And so so when, when we're told here that one of the marks of a true disciple is someone who holds on to the teaching of Jesus, I'm not suggesting that people can lose their salvation Uh, I I don't believe that that is taught in Scripture. I don't believe that's biblical. Listen, I know not everyone is on the same page. You can take me out for coffee. We can discuss. I'm always open to that. Uh, Get an Americano. It's going to be like $5. Buy me coffee and we can talk about it. John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So I, like I believe there are passages in Scripture that cause us to have a rock solid assurance that God, who saves us, keeps us. That, that, that there's not a time where he, He's looking around in heaven and going, Man, what, what did I do with James? Has anyone seen James? Has anyone? I just put them. I put them somewhere. Has anyone seen? I don't think that happens. But listen, there, there are times in Scripture where we come across passages and people who seemingly were in all of a sudden are nowhere to be seen, and so we have to do something with that. Now we can look at that and we can go, well, they're just they're they're backsliding. They're in. I mean, they filled out the card, they tossed in the stick, they said the prayer, like they're like they're good. I don't know. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us. They were in, but they went out because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. It's a sign that someone is a true follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, is they, they continue in the faith. And time is a great revealer. Time is a great revealer. A true disciple continues in the faith. As a side note, when I talk about being a disciple of Jesus, I'm not talking about like a, a super a subcategory of Christian. Like sometimes when we, when we talk about followers of Jesus, we go, well, there are, there are unbelievers... There are believers, but they're kind of JV. They play triple-A ball, maybe double-A. But then there's the disciples. And the disciples, they're, they're major league. They're varsity. They're the ones that are real serious about the things of God. I do not think that Scripture makes that distinction. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith and trust in Him, you're a disciple, you are a follower, you are a learner of the ways of Jesus. So true disciples uh, continue in the faith. Secondly, true disciples know the truth. Look at verse 32. Uh, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This verse is a verse that is a favorite verse in the academic world. Uh, The thought here is that that knowledge gained uh, equates to freedom. I mean, knowledge is power. I mean, how many times have you heard that? You get knowledge and the whole world will open up to you uh, that you never knew existed. No one can take that from you. Sometimes we read this verse and we go, well, that's what it means. The truth will set you free. You just got to learn stuff. And if you learn stuff, you'll experience freedom. That is not what this verse means. Um, This verse also does not mean that in our pluralistic, relativistic culture, we can say, hey, no your truth. Man, you just got to know your truth. You be true to you. You're smart. God's given you a mind. You think. You figure things out. And then you just be true to that. That is not what this verse means. Sometimes we think this verse means, hey, you know some facts and some information. Uh, discover some ideas, some philosophies, some explanations that at one time you were unaware of. Uh, come to know certain categories or labels or definitions that you didn't know before. Be enlightened, explain the unexplainable, and then you will be set free. That also is not what this verse means. Then you will know the truth and the truth Will set you free. What does that mean? It means that you will come to know Jesus, the truth, and Jesus will set you free. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, True disciples come to know Jesus as he has revealed himself to be. They see Jesus for who He is. They see Him as the Son of God. They see Him as uh, the Savior of the world who has come uh, to pay the penalty for uh, their sins. Uh, To know the truth is to see Jesus not primarily as a helper who comes alongside of us to give us a little boost up to God. Jesus is the one who has come to be our deliverer, who rescues us from ourselves to bring us to God. People who know the truth, who know Jesus, see Jesus as infinitely valuable. He is option A, B, and C in life. Like he, he is life. He's all of life. He's all of life. So what, what does that look like? Because I hear that and I go, well, like, okay. Well, what, what does that mean? Jesus is life or he's all of life. How do I measure that? This is, this is, this is what it looks like. This is from earlier in, in the gospel of John. Um, it says Jesus is having this conversation. I believe this is John chapter 6. I could be wrong. I've been wrong a couple times today already. Uh, before I started preaching, before. I just want to be clear. Uh, It is the Spirit uh, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus is going, hey, you come to me because the Father draws you. Like he gives life and people did not want to hear that. And so people left. And so Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks at his boys and he says to them, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what it looks like to see Jesus as the truth. To go, where are we going to go? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. True disciples, Hold on to, remain in uh, the teaching of Jesus. True disciples know the truth. They know Jesus. Third, true disciples, as a result of knowing the truth, experience freedom. Verse 32, again, then you will know the truth and the truth Will set you free. True disciples are set free by Christ and for Christ. Uh, This comes as a result of knowing Jesus, of knowing Christ. The Jews in this text believe they were free, but not because of Jesus. Did you notice that? It's not like there's this group of people who are believing in the gospel and Jesus is saying, No, you're not believing in the gospel. They're, They're believing in something other than the gospel. It says in verse 33, Then they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus told them. In essence, no, you you are slaves to sin. You're slaves to sin. Jesus replied, verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Um, These Jewish leaders, uh, this group of people were slaves to sin because they were trusting in something else uh, to give them life other than Jesus. What were they trusting in? They were trusting in their pedigree. They, They said, we are Abraham's descendants. Do you know who we are? Do you understand where we have come from? Of course we're right with God. We are Jews. We are God's people. We are Abraham's descendants. We're God's people by birth. We were born into the right family. Like we were born into the know. What does this look like for us today? Today? Maybe we have found ourselves or others saying things like, well, I mean, of course we're Christians. We grew up in the church. I was practically born in the baptismal, right? I mean, my my mother gave birth to me on Friday, and there we were on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Whenever the church doors were open, we were there. Of course I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. My grandfather started the church. You haven't seen the plaque in the hallway? Same last name. We're related. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm Presbyterian. The frozen chosen. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm Baptist. I'm Southern Baptist or independent Baptist, or general Baptist, or reformed Baptist, but I'm Baptist. I'm a Christian. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Methodist. Some of them are a little sketch, but I'm a good one. I'm full gospel. I'm not part gospel. I'm 110% gospel. I'm full gospel. Yes, I'm a Christian. I go to the church of God, the church of God. It's God's church. Of course, I'm a Christian, I'm charismatic, charismatic, I believe in all the members of the Trinity. Yes, I'm a believer, I'm in, I go to a big church, I go to the church that everyone else goes to, you didn't see my bumper sticker, I have swag, I have church swag. Yes, I'm a Christian, no, I don't, I go to the small church, because you can't trust the big church, of course I'm a Christian. I go to a small little sweet little church. I go to a medium-sized church. It's perfectly in the middle between a big church and a little church. That's where the Christians go. Best of both worlds. In other words, I'm from the right family. and I have the, I have the right pedigree. I'm a part of the right denomination or camp. I know the right people or I read the right people. I study the right people and I listen to the right people. I believe what they believe. I don't know exactly what they believe, but we believe the same thing. Like, I'm good. We don't need to be set free. We're descendants of Abraham. And Jesus said to them, no, you're a slave. You're a slave slave to sin if you are trusting in anything other than Jesus to set you free. If we do not see our spiritual need, we will not see our need for a Savior. The Jews thought, we're good, thank you very much. We do not need what you are offering. A while ago, I was walking with a friend through a neighborhood, and I stumbled across a house with a beautifully manicured lawn. Man, I got to be honest with you. It was the prettiest lawn I'd ever seen in my life. Like I saw this lawn and I, and I sort of wanted to move to the other side of the street just so I didn't get close to it. I mean, I don't know these folks, but it looked like they were raising a lawn. Like, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. And I, and I had this thought, like, what would it look like if, if some 10, 11-year-old kid came up and knocked on the door and the owner opened up the door and the, and the little kid said, Hey, mister. I'm here with my Toro lawnmower. It starts sometimes, and I would love—I would love to cut your lawn, and I'll do it for twenty dollars. And I have this picture of the owner of the house uh, looking at the little kid, going, um, <laughs> "That's cute," but clearly, I don't need your help. Uh, my lawn and my house is in order. And and that's what the people were essentially saying to Jesus. We've got our house in order. We do not need uh, your help. Jesus replied uh, to them, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Verse 37, you are looking for a way, uh, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen In the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. You're not free. You're trying to kill me. You won't accept my word. Uh, You're playing for the wrong team. You follow your Father. Not, Not Father Abraham, but the devil. Jesus spoke to the people. He speaks to you and to me and says, I have come to be satisfying bread for those who hunger. And he tells the people, but you do not come to me to eat. I have come to quench the spiritual thirst of the parched, and you will not come to me to drink. I have come to be light in the darkness, and you reject the light in favor of darkness. You say you believe, but you are rejecting me as Savior. You say that Abraham is your father, but Abraham, what marked his life was faith, In the promises of God. And so Jesus calls them to task. You will not believe my word. True disciples hold on to the teaching of Jesus. Uh, They know the teaching of Jesus. They experience the freedom that Jesus gives. And lastly, number four, true disciples love Jesus. True disciples love Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And one of the marks of a disciple is a love for Jesus. And that's, I mean, that's what Jesus says. If God were your father, you would love me. So I read that, and the question that I ask is, well, what does it look like to love Jesus? I mean, how, how do I know if I love Jesus? It says that we should love him if we're truly his disciples, but what does that look like? There's other places in Scripture where we can go. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Now, I don't know about you, but I read those passages, and I get a little uncomfortable. Why? Well, for multiple reasons. Number one, I do not keep God's commandments perfectly. I I don't. I read the Ten Commandments, and sometimes I'm looking for the answer all of the above. like I need help with all of them. So I think to myself, well, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, love Jesus. And I go, do I love Jesus? I think I love Jesus. Scripture says if you love Jesus, you're going to obey His commandments. And so there's part of me where that makes me a little nervous. And then I'm also a little nervous because um, the sum of love cannot only be seen by or in my actions. Uh, What I mean by that is is I can do something that on the outside looks right, but on the inside I can be far uh, from God. I can have no love in my heart. I can say to a spouse, or we can say to our spouse, I fix the faucet and get off my back. I emptied the dishwasher. You can stop asking me now. I folded your laundry, but it sure would be nice if you would chip in around here. I put some money into your account. I hope you're happy. That is not love. It's not love. That is a checklist. That is duty done begrudgingly. That's not the kind of love that the Bible talks about. Jesus um, Jesus is calling us to something uh, more. He's not calling us to have a little to-do list of commands that we check and we go, God, you told me to do this, I did it. You told me to do that, I did it. He wants more. He, He wants our hearts I love what author John Bloom says in an article. He's describing the love of God, and he writes this. God made us to wear our love on our sleeves. He wired us to serve what we treasure. How we love our spouse or children or friends or coworkers or pets is evident by how we serve or neglect them. Whether we love God or money is evident by how we serve or neglect one or the other. In the long run, we cannot fake who or what we really serve. Uh, This is a desire to follow Jesus. This love is a desire to follow Jesus and to be obedient to Jesus out of an affection or a love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus, our love for God is imperfect. It's imperfect. Every one of us at the end of the day, if we were to assess our love for the Lord, would go, man, I, <laughs> mixed bag. There, there is one, there is one person who loved perfectly. There's one person, and his name is Jesus. Scripture says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus lived this out perfectly. John Bloom continues to write, supreme love was made visible in Jesus' death on the cross where the founder and perfecter of our faith pursued his and our full eternal joy through his obedience in the midst of the greatest suffering. God wore his love on his bloody sleeve. Jesus did not merely love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we know love. All lovers of Jesus keenly know that we do not love him perfectly. Scripture says we stumble in many ways. And if we have no sin, we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we say we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we know that we do this imperfectly. But true disciples of Jesus love Jesus. Not, not out of duty, but out of delight. We do this imperfectly, but we have a desire for him. This is demonstrated in joyful obedience. This is the mark of a true disciple. If you do not love Jesus, if you are uninterested in the things of God, if the idea of the Christian life is sort of a beat down to you, it might be It might be because you do not know Jesus. If it looks like a duck and swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, it might not be. True disciples hold to the teaching of Jesus, they know the truth, they know Jesus, they experience the freedom that he offers. Uh, and they, they love Jesus. May our lives, by the power of God's Spirit, uh, be marked by these truths. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we cannot do anything that you invite us to do apart from you. Uh, even the desire to love you is a gift from you. God, your word uh, says that we love because your love has been poured into our hearts by your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that the very things that you call us to do as your people, uh, you would give us the strength and the power to do by your spirit. Uh, God, if there are people here this morning who are far from you and do not know you, uh, if they've been uh, relying on their pedigree or their family background or a few checked boxes, God, I pray by the power of the Spirit that you would convict them and draw them to yourself. Uh, King Jesus, thank you for your perfect life. Thank you for your death on the cross, Uh, your burial, your resurrection, and the life that is ours in and because of the good work that you have done uh, for us. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.